The word perilous. That's a word that uh, we don't use very often. It doesn't fit in our vocabulary very often. We don't typically use the term peril. And yet, reading our Bibles, especially those that have uh, cut your teeth on King James, we are familiar with the word perilous. And perilous, of course, is an adjective. It's a modifier. Speaking of that which is hazardous, that which involves a, a full expectation of grave risk. If I can have a little help with the monitors, I'm, I'm preaching this sermon about four times. I'm hearing myself over. This word perilous, again, is, is speaking of something very grave. And again, it's the adjective to the noun peril. And again, uh, accentuating that, that grave risk, jeopardy, danger, uh, something that uh, causes injury, something that causes loss, and something that is destructive. Again, all these terms is things we don't like to think about. And that therefore, we kind of keep it out of our vocabulary. When it comes to apparel, the word peril is also, and this is what we have to get clear understanding of as Christians, to understand that the word peril doesn't speak of something that has happened. And it's not speaking of something that is inevitably going to happen. It is always speaking of the possibility of it happening. In other words, we have to be aware of the threat of something that could happen. As parents raising our children, we're teaching them about the perils of life. Not that they've been injured, not that we think that for sure it's going to happen. We want to make sure that it doesn't happen. We teach them about fire, that it can be destructive, that it can injure the body. The, the stove and your mother walking you over and putting your hand over that burner and not putting your hand in the fire or on the burner itself, but getting close enough where the child feels that intense heat and pulling it back says, see, that, that could have hurt you if you touched it. How many remember those days? See, it's got to carry over into our faith as well. The, the peril of someone venturing out on a voyage in a ship. There is the peril of the sea. Once you launch and you're out there on the open waters, there is the peril of the possibilities, the threats of shipwreck, of loss, of life, drowning. When it comes to uh, driving a car, how many of us have ever had to take a 16-year-old through learning to drive a vehicle? Jim's putting his head down over there. And we have fun with it. We get exasperated with it, whatever the case. But then we realize this is the first time our child is going to venture away from home on a many-mile trip. 
And we know that along the way, there are particular roads that are windy. And we get news that the weather report says it's going to be raining. And at night, it'll be a very dense fog. And we're telling them of the peril of the trip, that there is the threat, there is the possibility of collision, of crash. I know you think I've lost my mind, but as I was going through my devotions this week, one of them is one that really spoke to me about something that we also don't like to think about, the peril of hell, the possibility of hell, the threat of hell. Is there really a hell? And what's it like? And do I want to go there? Because we all hear expressions, somebody say, Woohoo, man, I parted like hell. My Bible says there ain't no party there. 300 years ago this day, a man preached a sermon. His name was Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was used of the Lord to initiate, along with a couple others, the first great awakening in this nation. And he preached from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, that it's a fearful thing to be in the hands of an angry God. If Jonathan Edwards was here preaching today, if we put him in a time machine and brought him here 300 years later, this is what he would preach. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is the pure eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent in and in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than a stubborn rebel did his prince. Boy, this is good preaching to a church, isn't it? And yet, it is nothing but his hands that hold you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night, that you were Suffer to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell. Since you have sat here in the house of God, provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you do not, this very moment, drop into hell. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of wrath, that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. 
You hang by a slender thread with flames of divine wrath flashing about it. Wow. You want me to invite him to come and preach again next week? Do we even believe in hell anymore? And the peril of hell. The peril, the possibility, the threat of a place, William, of gnashing teeth, grinding constantly in pain, cannot be quenched, just constantly grinding and moaning and screaming in your ears constantly, not only second by second, minute by minute, but decade by decade, century by century. Hell, the peril of hell. Can you imagine going to hell from a church service filled with worship songs, filled with teaching and preaching of the good news, and yet just turning a deaf ear to it? I'm just going to keep involved in the things I'm involved in because I like it and God will have to deal with it later. Jonathan Edwards, again, just keeping that truth that it is only the grace of God that keeps us, that preserves us, that God so loved us that he gave his perfect son to take our place. How can we ever be full of pride when we're reminded of the grace of God that has offered somebody like me, somebody like you, the gift of salvation? The perils 2 Timothy chapter 3, many of you knew I would go there as this word perilous speaks of the latter days. How many believes we're living in the latter days? 2 Timothy chapter 3, just the first four verses. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. The King James says there will be perilous times. For people will be lovers of self. How many has recognized that, which to me is the subject here. Everything else spills out of being so selfish. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, Reckless, swollen with conceit, and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Does that describe our times? Filled with peril. Not something that has happened, not something that's inevitable, but the peril of tomorrow of someone behaving this way, of offering you to join the party to get caught up in social media where there's a lot of wonderful things, but get on the dark side of it and to assassinate somebody's character. Just get caught up in the froth of the gossip. To get caught up in just ridiculing somebody's name, and you don't even know them, but you're going to jump on the bandwagon. The peril that's before us all the time, that's the message today. Every day is filled with opportunity of peril, the peril of 
Injury, physical injury, but what about spiritual harm? Today, some of these rededicating their life saying, life is not easy and it pays a toll. I want to make sure that I am walking the straight and narrow. Again, it's faith or fear. You see, the peril principle is simply this. It's one of those mysteries of godliness. It's one of those mysteries of of living a godly life that peril associates with those who want to be godly. Have you noticed that? How many testimony services have we been in where somebody's talking about, since I've been a Christian, I thought it'd be easier, but there's peril. There's people that don't like me. I don't understand that. I've been good to them. I've had people stab me in the back. I've walked up on the gossip and what they've said, and I just helped them. How many of you had family members just abuse you over and over? The good that you've shared, and yet the treachery of it. You see, it follows. In a way, we become a moving target for the enemy. Pastor, why'd you have to bring that up? Because it's reality. And the sooner you come to terms with it, the better you are to understand peril is always before us. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many, many. How many knows that's so true? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them out of them all. You got to be in it before he can get you out of it. Well, I don't want to be in it. None of us do. And yet when it's there, the peril of life, the peril of sin, the peril and threat of opportunity, spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers, darkness with one assignment to take you out, to destroy your marriage, to take down your testimony, to come after you, coming out of the water. I, I'll, I'll show others that water didn't do a thing for you. You call yourself a Christian. However, you see it's the peril, perilous times. Turn to somebody and say, this is good preaching. Oh, that sounded good. Say it again. It, it, it's still amazing sometimes. You always hear people, I, I didn't expect this. Well, what'd you expect? There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There's an eternity. And only one of two places. The abode of God, the presence of God, or to be in a place where his presence will never abide again. When it comes to peril, Paul was not, of course, exempt from it. When you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll, you'll get the repertoire of what he went through. Five times he was beaten. And the wording is with 30, he striped with 39 lashes. In other words, it says 40 save one. Because if a prisoner had been striped 40 times and survived it, they would be exonerated. To do 39 and hold back that 40th, we can come at you again. Can you imagine? Do the math. Five times that happened. 
195 lashes across your back. And many times with a cat of nine tails. How many multiple injuries, adhesions lay upon his back, his shoulders? Three times beaten with rods, stoned and left for dead. He went on and shared through there. He said, I know what it is to be in peril of the city and peril of the wilderness and peril of the sea. No matter where I went, what, what mode of transportation, there was peril there. And in many of these cases, it came to pass. I've gone three times and survived a shipwreck. He went on and said, I know what it is to be in peril Come on, hang on to your pews, put your seatbelts on. I know what it is to be in peril of the Jews, my people, and I know what it is to be in peril of the Gentiles. That means I know what it is to be in peril of people sitting in church with me. Pastor, what did you have for breakfast this morning? You ever been injured in church? Sure. The peril is there, the opportunity is there, the threat is there. It's sobering preaching, isn't it? We just sing, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. That isn't just talking about, I'm trusting him when he's holding my hand, walking down the street on a nice sunny day, and he gave me an ice cream to eat along the way. Peril of life. Caleb, you're getting ready to go to higher education. There's an anointing upon your life. God has marked you. The enemy knows that as well. He'll come gunning for you. The peril of a righteous life. And yet greater is he that is in you. And you have to be reminded of that. Put on the whole armor of God. He said, I knew what it was. to." My version didn't put it this way, but I'll, I'll, I'll improvise. He knew what it was in the peril of fake news. <laughs> That isn't just a new expression, is it? He knew what it was to be sleep deprived. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be thirsty. He knew what it was to be cold. He knew what it was to be too hot. And he said, and above all these things, the daily pressure of the churches. Amen to that one. Why did I share that? Because if we miss it, We'll just say, wow, he had a bad week. That didn't happen in a week. That is an overall view of a lifetime of suffering. And so it is with us, as you look now at your life at age 20-something, 30-something, 40-something, and the rest of us, it's none of our business how old you are. You start adding up the chapters. When I was in college, this and this happened. That peril that threat became a reality. I know what it was when I first got married, when I first became a parent, when I first went back to get a, a second education, what it was to start a new job, to start a new business. Uh, when we moved to this new city, we thought it'd be wonderful when our children went to public school, when our children went to Christian school, when our, our children be, stayed home, it was our decision to homeschool. Peril, 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 peril. The opportunity, the threat that life will throw at you. No matter which road you travel, there will be peril, perilous times. Again, this collection 
Paul is just summing it up. This is, these are the things that's happened to me. But he went on and shared with us, I know what it is in the peril of journeys. In other words, it was always lurking. How many times does somebody say, Paul? Of course, we, we've just done a Bible study on that with midweek manna uh, through Acts. Paul, it, you, you don't want to go to Jerusalem. And you sure don't want to go to Rome. You don't go, don't go, don't go. He knew there was peril. He knew there was opportunity. But he was commissioned and felt burdened to go. What about you? What about the peril that today will hold for you? What about the peril of tomorrow? And again, where is all this going? I'll remind you of a song that we know well. It's simply entitled Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. John Newton knew it well. A rank sinner that came to faith. What's interesting is when he wrote this song, that was not the original title. The original title was Faith's Review and Expectation. Boy, that one just jumps right off your lips, doesn't it? But it's that faith that looks in review. Tis grace that kept me yesterday. It's grace that kept me through that marriage. It's grace that kept me through fifth grade, 10th grade. Tis grace that kept me at that party that my parents told me I shouldn't go, but I went anyhow. Tis grace. As faith looks back, I didn't give you credit, God. Even in my rebellion, your grace, your hand preserved me when hell was welcoming me. You preserved me when I didn't deserve it. Faith looks back and says, wow, you're an incredible God, but I'm fearful for the future. And that's why he said, oh my, then I look to the future and I still have the rearview mirror and realize the God that kept me back then is the God that'll see me all the way through. Tis grace, his grace, his grace. Paul put it this way, who, who, what can separate me from the love of God? Shall life, death, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, peril, persecution. You see, even though I know there's a threat of injury, there's the threat of rejection, there's the threat of being alienated, there's a threat of loneliness, there's a threat my best friends will leave me, there's the threat, the threat, I know this, nothing, nothing, Nothing that this world has and nothing that Satan can throw at me can separate me from the love of God which I have found in Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing! Oh, we get injured. We get injured. Our souls pay the price. That divorce, that loss, That abandonment, 
that misrepresentation, that slander, it wounds. It cuts deep. But our focus has to get away from this, not that it's a form of denial, but says, I'm going to look to something greater than me and something greater than my experience. I'm looking to my God, who's the same today as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow. I'm going to trust you again. I don't feel like walking one step of faith, but I can trust you. So I'm going to take one more step in you and just trust you'll give me the strength. And if you give me the strength for that step, I'm going to trust you for another step. And if you trust me with that step, I'm going to take another step. You see, some of us know what physical therapy is. You knew some of these sermons were going to come, didn't you? But there's also ST. There's spiritual therapy. And you think, I can't do one thing. I've suffered an injury. I can't do what I used to do. But you know what? I found out I can do a little bit. And there's somebody encouraged me. You did that yesterday. You can do it again and one more time. You know what you did it then? And you're kind of flexing the muscle again. You can go a little bit more. I'm going to trust my God who gives me strength. I look to the hills which come with my help. I look into my Lord. He's the sustainer. He's the keeper. He's the one that guides. Lord, you brought me through the valley. Now take me to the mountaintop again. And Lord, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For my God is with me. I know he's my shield. He's my buckler. He's got a staff and he's got a rod. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God because I found it in the conqueror of all conquerors, the name of Jesus. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. The tomb couldn't hold him. Even given Satan fair warning, you tear down this temple three days later, I'll build it back. Satan brought all his arsons and said, we're going to hold you right there. There's not a thing you can do it. But on that third morning, on that resurrection morning, <laughs> whoo, come on, somebody. And that same resurrection power that's in him is the same resurrection he poured upon the church on the day of Pentecost and he's still feeling the believer today and said, I know, I know my God is able to supply all of my needs according to his riches, to his glory. You better stand or I'll preach another hour. 